you need to be able to handle many many different conflicting views so in each of the projects that we've done we've had people protest the projects and the designs yeah and we've had to go and either make modifications to accommodate their requests or explain to them why we're doing it a certain way and uh, there's uh, influence from political uh, side from residents from non-profits there are multiple people who want things to be shaped a certain way yeah so i think it requires a certain mindset to be able to take in everyone's point of view and figure something that uh, is a negotiated solution of everyone's wishes welcome to everything comes together my name is Srinath and I'm an architectural photographer based in Chennai, India. My guest today is architect and urban planner Kavita Selvaraj of CityWorks. On Everything Comes Together, I'll be speaking with people in the broader photography, architecture and design communities. Rather than only talking about their work, we will be talking about them, their personal journey, the challenges they overcame and the most pivotal incidents in their lives that made them who they are today. So now, let's get to it. Before we get to our guest, I just wanted to let you know that the Everything Comes Together podcast has a new home online at everythingcomestogether.com. You can watch full episodes to get the whole story or you can watch a treasure trove of playlists. On these playlists, a variety of creatives from across the country present their experiences and opinions on a set of topics to give you a complete understanding of the work you love. Find out more at everythingcomestogether.com. Now, on with the show. When looking for a place to sit or a place to meet friends, we almost always end up doing so on private property rather than a convenient public space. Simply finding a nice path to walk our dogs or a place to dispose of our garbage or simply walk down the street can be a cumbersome task. These issues and a lot lot more are a part of urban planning and design. An interest in urban design is what drew me to speak with my guest Kavita Selvaraj. After gaining substantial architecture experience in the US, Kavita returned to Chennai to join a legacy architecture firm, CRN Architects. During her time there, while working on her passion projects, she started her own practice, CityWorks, a social enterprise created to design a better urban environment around us. Through this interview, I talked to her about how she was inspired to become an architect as a child, how she overcame personal losses early in life, and the importance of designing towns and cities that suit everyone who live within them. So I was born in Chennai. Okay. And uh, since my father was in the army, I spent my childhood years throughout the country in different uh, army cantonments. Some years in Jabalpur, that's in Madhya Pradesh, in Sikandrabad, and then in uh, Delhi. So that's where I finished my high school, finished my high school from Delhi. Okay, and you, by being transferred around a lot, um, what was, did you enjoy going to new places all the time? Was that something that interested you or was that yeah. just something that happened? No, it was, I would say the best uh, childhood experience mm. for someone to grow up in that kind of an environment. Uh, it's uh, very unique. You really learn to be very open-minded. 
we never had a choice. So after a couple of years, yeah. you just pack your bags and move to a new place, go to a new school, have new neighbor neighbors. But there are some things that are very much in common, you know, the army housing, the kind of cantonment areas where we lived, yeah. the type of relationships that we had with people around us. Those were the constants and you learn to be very adaptable. Yeah. And very open to new experiences. So I think uh, I absolutely loved it and I wish everyone could have that kind of a, a childhood which makes you so open-minded. Yeah, and I think as we'll be talking about, you moved around a lot for your work as well or even studies over the years in different yeah. places, yeah. right? So that would have given you a bit of preparation yes. for that. Yeah. Um, so you also, when we spoke earlier, you mentioned that there was one particular incident that was quite pivotal at a young age is when you guys built your built yeah. a home. True. So when I was in uh, class two and three, um, at that time, my father was posted in Cargill and Cargill being a field posting, uh, the family uh, was staying in a, what's called a separated family quarters in Chennai. Okay. At that time, that was in uh, Nandanam, which was defense quarters on Mount Road. And uh, around that time, uh, my parents bought a small piece of land in, in Nandambakam. Uh, it's a defense services officers, kind of a colony, mm. and decided to build a two-bedroom, single-floor house. And for that, they hired a young architect, uh, Sheila Shiprakash, actually, at that time. Okay. She was just out of uh, college. And for me, as a seven- or eight-year-old, that was my first experience with... Uh, the whole construction industry, you know, and I used to go with my mother to the construction site and just watch this building come up. Very modest, small home. Yeah. But uh, it was fascinating. And I was kind of hooked to this idea of having these drawings that kind of translated into three-dimensional form. So it stayed yeah. with me in my mind and sort of set me on this uh, idea that I should pursue architecture as a career. So did you spend much time at the construction yeah. site talking to people as well? To so, uh, because uh, at, at that time it was what would now be called a labor contract. So yeah. we would buy the bricks and the sand and the cement and make sure that it reached the site and go there and instruct and sort of interact with the with the masons, etc. So uh, uh, it was just a nice way to understand how what is drawn on a piece of paper then gets yeah. you know translated into a building yeah so and that sort of put you on the track yeah yeah, yeah absolutely. so so from there where did you go you moved around some more after that obviously yes uh, so so that was when i was uh, in class two and three so then after that i spent uh, my middle school years in sikandrabad which is again a very nice uh, place to grow up mm. And uh, uh, I had an uncle who told me that it's really important uh, to be good at sketching if you want to do pursue architecture as a career. And so I used to spend my time drawing and, you know, and I was always inclined towards that. So yeah. I definitely took that, internalized that information and spent a lot of my time doing drawings and artworks and other creative pursuits. I was just interested in it, but somewhere in the back of my mind, it remained that at some point when I'm in high school, I should we apply to around. an architecture school. It's not bad. I was not bad. 
people yeah. generally say i was not bad or pretty good at <laughs> it right okay so and um, i i notice there's one theme that seems to run across multiple people that i've spoken to for this podcast and otherwise is that there's almost always an uncle yeah. who gives advice <laughs> to the person who ends up doing what they're doing but anyway okay so then you uh, you said you went to secunderabad and then to um, yeah. delhi yeah. and now you're probably coming up to the time to finish school yeah. right so was architecture the definite next step so uh there's absolutely no other uh, person in my family or i have not at this point when i was in school interacted with anyone else after that mm. who is connected to the design profession my father was a doctor right. is a doctor who served in the army for 30 years uh, my mom a homemaker and uh, the only things that were common at the time was you know medicine or engineering i um, was clear that i didn't want to do either of them yeah and uh, because at that time my parents were transferred from delhi to calcutta they were very uncomfortable leaving me in delhi so there was a couple of schools of architecture i could have applied to in delhi at that time yeah which i had found information about talked to the school counselor etc and uh, they felt delhi was unsafe uh, for me to study for undergraduate education so they said we'll go to chennai if you get into architecture school in chennai fine otherwise you'll do whatever you What? get into <laughs> and okay. so i applied to wcc okay. uh, college and i joined computer science there okay and i even spent one month in that program because uh, as you know there was only one school of architecture in chennai in 91 and uh, there's uh, there were just two seats for students who were not from tamil nadu okay at that time so the other states quota and um, i applied through that quota and fortunately mm. one of the two who got into it so and this is at sap in this is in uh, school of architecture and planning in Amal okay university yeah so that was actually uh, now i look back it seems like almost fluke that i got in <laughs> but it must have made you feel good right yeah, to get absolutely. in there yeah this was something i had wanted to do for a long time and the chances yeah. were so slim because it was the only program i applied to yeah and the fact that i got in was i was really thrilled so what was your experience like at tana university uh Uh, around uh, between 90 around 90s it was actually an uh, a very solid set of uh, teachers who were there at the school at the time and a very open culture i think now it's become a little more strict it was uh, really quite liberal at the time and we got to travel every year there was a travel uh, component the study tours yeah and we um, took part in the inter college competitions as well uh, very good faculty and we learned a lot from our peers and from our seniors yeah because there were only 35 students in each class mm. and there were five years so it was a very close knit uh, college environment of course being set within the larger university we also had friends in other colleges like yeah. the college of engineering and uh, ac tech but i think um, the school of architecture was its own little world yeah its own little ecosystem yeah it was own little ecosystem it was a really very positive experience i loved it 
Was it the same building that's there today that yeah. you studied in? Yes, it's the same building. I think so many things have not changed, not changed. at all. Okay. Uh, I think the school has become a little more uh, strict just in terms of allowing people to come in and out. When we were there, it was this open place where you could walk in and out any time of the day or night. And sometimes we'd spend all night working on studio projects or on NASA in yeah. the college. I, I think you can't do that anymore. <laughs> and um, you stayed on campus? Yes, I was in the hostel. In the hostel, yeah. okay. I was in the hostel and that was also, uh, I think, an important part of that whole being independent and growing up experience. Of course, right. I always had my grandparents' house because my grandparents lived in Chennai. Okay. So I'd go there sometimes for the weekends. And uh, But yes, I spent the entire five years uh, on campus. Okay. And um, you'd also mentioned that some, that you had a, a very difficult moment in the first year of college. Yes, actually. Uh, so this was, uh, my mom was actually one of the people who planted the seed of the idea of architecture in my mind when we, yeah. were, when we were building this house uh, when I was uh, growing up. And uh, she said, this sounds like an interesting career option. You know, yeah. It's fascinating. And so that was one of the reasons that I actually pursued it further. Yeah. Unfortunately, in my first year of undergraduate school, she passed away very suddenly. Uh, so just a few weeks before my 18th birthday, uh, my grandmother at that time, who was uh, severely diabetic, um, had a health setback and she died suddenly. And my parents who were living in Calcutta had flown down for the funeral. And uh, for unexplicable reasons, she kind of had a cerebral hemorrhage and passed away. So, in, so she didn't get to see me become an architect. Yeah. But I'm sure she's very proud. <laughs> Absolutely. But um, that is something that uh, you said, something that struck me at that time where you said that that made you grow up yeah. very quickly and overnight, right? Absolutely. And um, it's not a challenge anyone wants to have to face. But the thing is, when you're studying at, as you said, when you're just 18, that sort of thing sort of steals you towards Right. you know, becoming a stronger person Absolutely. Um, going forward. So I think it was uh, a huge shock naturally. Yeah. And uh, I was already quite independent as a person, but this uh, set of circumstances made me completely be self-reliant and, yeah. you know, sort of take care of a lot of things on my own. And um, now, moving forward from this this was in your first year yeah and in your second year of college you there was a uh, another there was a big project that you guys worked on was uh, in the, in tanjabu right so yeah. uh, as i was mentioning uh, at that time and i think even now schools have a very uh, uh, interesting way of bringing together students from various architecture schools so the national association of students of architecture has these annual meets yeah. where uh, along certain themes, different schools put together projects and then they sort of compete, if you will, yeah. against each other. So we took part uh, in a competition which was focused on developing the area in and around 
the big temple in Tanjavur. Yeah. And uh, I was part of a team. Of, I was only in my second second year, but I was part of this team which was led by seniors. Yeah. To look at how the urban environment could really complement the redevelopment and bring more tourism and uh, sort of upgrade the infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. So it was my first exposure to looking at something that was beyond the scale of a building because we were still looking at, you know, a cottage and a nurse, you know, primary school. Those are the kind of buildings you're looking at in your first few years in yeah. architecture. But for me, I was fascinated by the scale of looking at how through good design, you could impact the built environment. And of course, our uh, our group went on to win a prize uh, in that uh, competition as well. Mm. And so it got me thinking about a scale bigger than that of a building. And that sort of stayed with me throughout the rest of my undergraduate degree as well. Yeah. The fascination of uh, not only the building in itself, but also its what connection its connection to the larger uh, built environment. And was there any one person who sort of uh, inspired you with this or sort of said something that got you really interested in so, public um, spaces? So there were not only, there were several of our seniors who were um, very um, focused on guiding this project, but also some yeah. faculty members at the time, Professor Ravi, uh, Professor Rani come to mind, who are really um, good at, you know, introducing that sense of scale yeah. to us as uh, architecture students, the sort of general awareness of the larger scheme of things. Okay. So now this is um, the second year. Yeah. But there was one more that I really like to hear about was um, your thesis. At the at the, the Midras Government Museum. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know they really guide us to do design-oriented projects mm. uh, in architecture because obviously you are a BArc student. But I was uh, by this time quite fascinated by urban uh, issues, and uh, so I wanted to somehow combine architecture and urbanism. So for my thesis project, I looked at the museum complex in Egmore. Uh, which is actually not so different than it is now. Yeah. And uh, not at all. And I thought it would yeah. be very fascinating to look at it as a kind of a cultural hub or a cultural core. And I focused my thesis on additions to existing heritage buildings and looked at that as an area of focus. And I was so excited about my project. I even went back to the museum and I made a small presentation as a 22-year-old saying, look, I have all these ideas for Chennai Museum to be, you know, a world-class. So how did you even get that appointment? Did you just... I just walked in. And they, they gave you an Absolutely. appointment straight away? Absolutely. I just walked in and said, I've done this. I've yeah. studied your building. I've made drawings of your building and I have some ideas on what it could be like. And yeah. They were like, yeah, sure, sure, it's no problem. So that's a lesson to anyone who is watching this is if people yeah. think, I'm not going to get an appointment, yeah. no harm in trying. Absolutely. Right. And I can tell you now, yeah. so many years after that, I still do that. Yeah. If I have an idea or if I have a thought and I want to share that with someone, I just knock on the door and say, hey, can we speak about it? Yeah. Nine times out of ten, they always say yes. Okay. Yeah. So you'll be surprised how open people are. 
So how did that go finally? I mean, did uh, the museum nothing do ha- nothing came out of it? Okay, o- obviously yeah. because I. I used, as I mentioned to you, I used to go to the museum. My my mom used to take me there a lot when I was a young kid, and I used to think that why is there no place to you know sit and have lunch after yeah. we're done with the museum, and we'd end up crossing the road and buy sandwiches from that Bombay Bombay sandwich wala. Yeah. And then we'd head back. So there was no place to just sit within the museum True. itself, True. which But would have been. that started for me a lifelong um, yeah interest in museums so even now i wherever i travel i just love to spend time in museums so just i think the idea of storytelling yeah. and uh, having that connect to the past and many times to the future because there's also a contemporary gallery yeah there so it's very fascinating yeah so now your this is your time in school your time in your bachelor's in architecture and um, then from here i think the next chapter that we're going to talk about has three important passages in the us right so uh, you went to study your masters right so let's just start by talking about that your time in austin yeah so i uh... applied to the university of texas at austin mm-hmm. as uh, one of i think applied to six schools and uh, what fascinated me about this program was that it had a traveling fellowship so in the first semester of our program uh, the studio the entire studio traveled across okay. uh, a lot of the southwest so it was a really fantastic experience with a professor very senior professor he was he was a british professor uh, in urban design okay and uh, we traveled to uh, new mexico arizona in and around texas we we went to mexico city also okay and a few other places in mexico and uh, so that really opened my eyes to a lot that can be done just in terms of the built environment yeah um, and um, of course the experience of living in another country and the you know sort of uh, learning from other cultures yeah was uh, also very positive so i really enjoyed my two years that i spent there uh, the program was more theoretical so in yeah. addition to the travel component uh, we had a lot of courses built around urban design theory and uh, site planning and of course architecture courses yeah and i also got a chance to do a one summer in england okay where we um, again we traveled and we made lots of sketches and saw lots of interesting buildings so those those were two very good years with a lot of exposure also you know uh, when you said it was southwest us they have very very distinct architecture style in the south especially right it's because True. there is the True. the mexican influence exactly. is very clear exactly now since you said you were looking a lot at public spaces in these places um i don't have a huge i uh, don't have a great deal of experience traveling around the us but one thing i noticed is things are very structured in how yeah. they want roads to be yeah. and there are a lot of the regulations which are followed right yeah 
were there some influences in the places that you went to which were more culturally driven yeah uh, unique so, to them so in all my travels i always uh, noted a couple of things mm. one is that um, there was a very strong emphasis on protecting and um, sort of projecting history yeah and uh, for example there are these pueblos yes in new mexico very yeah. beautiful earth architecture a lot of it is gone i think just the foundations in some of these places are remaining yeah but the way in which it is preserved the way in which the story of the past is shared i was very impressed that with whatever little history is there yeah it's uh, communicated so effectively and uh, in our country when i and whenever i saw all these places there were some things that were just maybe 100 years old and, but this, it was so well preserved and story to told so well i saw always think oh my god we have like a thousand times the number of things that we could talk about yeah. i wish that you know those were documented and shared as as well as these so this was something that stayed with me uh, yeah. always and of course other uh, and other thing that was very stayed in my mind was uh, we'd gone on a trip to san antonio mm. and uh, there the city has done remarkable work in converting a river which was not unlike our kuam into a very fantastic urban public space so okay. they basically reengineered the course of the water channel and built these very nice walkways around it at a sort of a level difference from the street yeah and uh, the fact that people could put their minds together and make these changes happen yeah sort of and when did when did they do this when did i think it was happened in the maybe 70s 60s 70s okay so the fact that these are affected you know these are these don't happen overnight magically yeah it takes all, a lot of work yeah it takes a lot of work and people before us have done this in other places yeah so there's no reason why we can't do these things yeah absolutely and when you talk about the kuam yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. i think that's something, something that yeah. really no you'll be surprised yeah. uh, you'll be surprised at the story of every great river front that you can see anywhere in the world yeah starts with it being a completely degraded space it could mm. it could be the seine it could be the thames it could be rivers in germany yeah they all have a story where it was not what you see yeah it what it is today so people yeah. have turned those things around yeah um so, so there's something else that you said about your uh, time in austin was that this was the first time you had ever been out of the country Right. So what, what was, was that, that like when you you left your family and friends right. and all back home? Right. I so it was my first international flight. Right. That I took at the age of 22 when I yeah. never flown out of the country but I traveled on my own mm. and just landed in a new place. I had a my sister's friend came to the airport and picked me up and it was just all very um everything's very big in texas yeah. it's huge the portions of food they serve you are huge yeah 
and just very vast open spaces and distances between places right because yes. you wouldn't have had any absolutely. real transportation there absolutely just distances between places of course i did learn to drive and i got yeah. my license and all of that sure but um, it was a very new cultural experience mm. but being from a background where i was quite comfortable going to new places i embraced it yeah it's like there's always something to learn from all these people so yeah that was good and so what did you do when, by the time you were um done in texas so then i um uh wanted to work i applied to the uh to a couple of offices both in chicago and in st louis okay and uh was very fortunate got a got a job offer from a mid-sized firm in chicago which is exactly what i wanted to do mm. i didn't want to go to a firm which was very large where i would get lost and neither did i want to practice in an office which is very small with just two or three people because i always had this in the back of my mind that i want to return to india right. so the smaller offices do a lot of residential and smaller type of construction which is not relevant to our context so yeah. i wanted to work in a a uh, firm that 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 did mid-sized projects and okay uh, we had about 40 people and i worked there for about 3 years uh absolutely loved it because chicago is a wonderful city uh for anyone yeah. but specifically for architects yeah it's got some very historic buildings and it's got uh, very nice urban spaces yeah so i know people say that the winters are awful but i i even love the winters i just i didn't do <laughs> so, so uh, actually your was it hard getting a job in the us very hard yeah because it seems to be hard now was it how hard was it back then it was very hard mm. uh so uh so i was seeing a friend of mine and who i met in college who i married to now okay 20 years and uh, he was in school at university of illinois in urbana champaign which is about 2 hours from chicago sure so i really wanted to find a job in chicago and uh, so basically i moved there without a job uh, stayed in his cousin's place and knocked on many doors and uh, everyone uh, getting the first job is always hard because everyone's always saying we're looking for someone with experience <laughs> Yeah. And uh, regardless of how I spun the story of my resume the fact was I didn't have any experience because I did 5 years in undergrad went straight into a 2 years in masters so basically I had the no only experience, experience I had was some internships uh, over the summers which I had done throughout yeah but that was not substantial and so once I um, sort of figured out the office that I really wanted to join I was very persistent. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is understating things when you talk about the story. So I uh, met the person there who was in charge of recruiting and I said I really really want to work here and he said look we just have you know you you sound very enthusiastic and you come from a good program but we literally don't have any place for you to sit in our office mm. and then i called him again after a week and then again after two weeks and then i said um, and i you know in the course of conversation he happened to mention that look we have an intern from ireland who's come in he doesn't have any place to sit either he's sitting in our basement building models and so that's how short on space we are at the moment and that's why i can't offer you a job 
and I said, uh, it's okay, I'll sit with the intern in the basement and I'll also build them. I'll assist the intern in building models. And uh, so he finally gave up and he said, it's fine. Okay, you're willing to sit in the basement and build models. Go on and join us. And so that's how I got my first job. And uh, what were the kind of projects you worked on there? It turned out to be the most uh, fabulous decision mm. that both my boss took and I took in sitting in the basement and building models because I got, got to work on building a model for a large redevelopment project which was set in St. Louis. Okay. It's called Couple Station and there were these warehouse buildings that were being converted into office and commercial space. And so uh, there I was in the basement working on this model and uh, came up with this uh, idea of covering the spaces between the buildings with the big atrium. Yeah. Which uh, turned out to a big, be a big hit with the clients. Mm. And so I was thereafter promoted from the basement <laughs> to the, the first floor. The office, <laughs> into the first floor. And then I got to work on that project for a year after that as well. Mm. So, yeah, the first job is, is tough, but... Did you do much uh, public space projects at this firm? So we did Couple Station, which was a redevelopment project yeah. on which I worked on for a while. And um, one of the nice things about American offices is it's very merit-based. Mm. So every time uh, we went into a meeting, my boss would always tell the client, it was this... It was this young architect's idea that we do this project like this. So they were very open about sharing uh, credit, yeah. which I really enjoyed that uh, culture, the mm. office culture. And um, and that must be something that has translated into how you work here yes, as well, absolutely, right? Credit, absolutely. Credit really doesn't get around very no. much. I, Not I haven't enough. forgotten that it takes a team to put things together. Yeah. And that is from my first job to this day. Uh, architecture is not a solo practice at all. Yeah. I think if anyone says that, they are not being truthful. Yeah. It's a team sport. And uh, yes, an idea can come from anywhere. And it takes many people and many craftsmen and many contractors. And the client has a very big role. It takes a lot of people to put that together. It's true for an architecture project, but more so for even public space projects. Yeah. It's really a team effort. Now, when you were in Chicago, you said that Chicago has great public spaces, right? So how long were you in Chicago for? So I spent three years there. So you must have gone around yeah. different neighborhoods and... Traveled a lot, uh, not only within the city, but also, of course, it's a home of Frank Lloyd Wright. And so yeah. then we went and saw many interesting buildings in and around Chicago, but also traveled to other parts of the United States uh, mm. from there. Uh, professionally at that time, I was beginning to realize, we were working with a lot of developers at that time. And I uh, was beginning to realize that my education was very focused on design. And really, decisions in the built environment are not based only on design. They are based on financial considerations. They are based on 
governance, on rules, and all of those things. And so I was uh, starting to think that I wanted to study further and look at urban development much more closely. Mm. So I uh, was getting ready to sort of apply for a second master's at the time, though my office was not very happy <laughs> with my decision. Right. But I thought I had spent three years in this firm and I thought it would be a good idea to uh, get another master's degree, which covered those things which I felt had not been covered in my previous education. Yeah. And um, so where did you apply? So I uh, was also around that time, I sort of, we had decided, I was married by then and we decided that we would return to India. Okay. And uh, so this was something I wanted to do before I returned to India. So I applied only to one program uh, at the Graduate School of Design at Harvard and they offered a post-professional master's that was uh, on the theme of real estate and urban development. Mm. That was called an MDES program. It was uh, meant for uh, people who already had either a master's degree or se uh, several years of work experience. Yeah. And uh, I applied to that program and um, I met a professor uh, who was uh, heading the real estate uh, department there. And I gave him my background and I told him, this is what I'm interested in, why I'm interested in this. And uh, he said, yes, um, do apply. We'll see what we can do. And I was fortunate that I got in. Yeah. And I was very excited about that because um, it covered a lot of things that I had not had exposure to. So, for example, uh, the... The educational environment in Cambridge itself is very unique. Okay. You, can, you can take courses at MIT, you can take courses at the Harvard Business School, at the Kennedy School of Government, any of the... So uh, you're not limited to only your department? You're not limited to the design school. Yeah. And by this time, I was uh, sort of beginning to realize that design is a byproduct of so many other things. Yeah. So I took those opportunities and actually took a course in the business school, took a course in the Kennedy School of Government, yeah. audited some classes at MIT. And essentially, they allowed us to build our own program. Mm. Uh, I also did a studio when I was there uh, at the GSD, which was based in Shanghai. Oh, okay. Uh, no, actually, it was based in Hangzhou, which is about two hours from Shanghai okay. and looked at the uh, development of the city of Hangzhou in the future. So it was one of those uh, future scenarios development type of projects. Right. And the GSD has uh, uh, fantastic professors who come and teach. Each studio is very much ahead of its time in terms of the challenges that they look at, in terms of the design issues that are addressed Yeah. and uh, set uh, all over the world. The studios are all over the world. The students who come there, 80% of them come from all over the world. Mm. And uh, you really meet people. I, I met people from every continent. It's a great deal of exposure. Yeah, huge exposure. And uh, the professors as well, they don't restrict themselves to professors from any one country. You have professors from all over the world who come there yeah. to teach. Uh, so that really opened up my um, interest in so many things and uh, yeah. sort, of, you know, sort of look at the world differently as well. Mm.
so at this point you had spent time studying in india and then within the us you studied in a couple of places yes. and then you worked in chicago but you yes. also spent a little bit of time in england yes uh, and a now a little bit of time in china yes um and um, now that we've obviously been working in india now for about 20 years now yes so yes, 20 years so what was what is the one common thread that sort of goes between each of these um different places that you've either studied or practiced in is there something like that is there something that's common apart from the fact that all places need public spaces <laughs> um i don't know if i can put my finger on what is common but i think my experience out of each of these places has been to take away what is um, universal yeah i think everywhere people make a lot of difference and uh, at the end of the day everyone we, we have so much in common is fascinating yeah we are not as different as we like to think we are yeah. i think that was my takeaway from having met and interacted with people yeah from from all of the world we are fundamentally so similar it's surprising yeah and um, the differences come i guess with the institutions we create like what's possible to do in the us is maybe not possible to do here or what's possible to do in china is not possible to be done in the us and that's because of the institutions that we have created as a society that either enable or don't enable us to make those changes yeah so i think the difference i realized is not so much with capacity or design ability or with talent or with people but then it's how we come together and what we can do when we are together i think that is different in different places yeah i don't know if that makes sense. no no it it does make sense because um so i have had a few opportunities of speaking with um architectural photographers from different countries mm. so i've spoken to people in uh, in a couple of countries in europe mm. and in the us and in india different parts of india as well yeah now all of us shoot buildings right right but um all of us have the same problems with yeah uh, different projects yeah and all of us like to have certain things so yeah. um the problems are very much similar in terms of permissions to shoot things yes. um key getting the buildings or the interior spaces to be set up a certain way when it's been changed after the project's been handed over correct and expectations from the client is always different uh for for each person every client is different right but if you talk to other photographers they would say the same things exactly right exactly so the things are similar across the world and it, yeah. it sort of is validating yeah. that um yeah all our cities look so different yeah but some of the problems remain the same everywhere absolutely but also some of the solutions remain the same as well even though that there are differences yeah. there is so much linking yeah. everything up so i think um uh, one of the things to really remember yeah is that you 
from an experience or an interaction, you take away the principle because that principle can be applied elsewhere. Yeah. The exact context may be different. Yeah. But the essentials don't really change much. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm jumping ahead, but in the last couple of years, I've, I'm part of a conference yeah. where uh, we look uh, where a bunch of people from civil and architecture backgrounds come together and there is a conference that's held every year uh, in different places. And so I have actually shared some of our experience of the public space projects here to a very international audience. And I'm surprised at how many people can relate to those problems. Whereas we think that those problems are so unique to our city and it's so specific to us, but you'll be surprised at the universality of those constraints. Very validating. Yes, it is. Yeah. Let's now talk about your return to Madras, right? Um, common question you would have been asked is why you came back? Um, so why did you come back? <laughs> Definitely I was asked that question yeah. many times. Uh, I never went with the intention of staying there forever. Yes. So it was always a question of uh, when I would come back, not if I would come back. I think it's a combination of a few different factors. One being that I thought I could make more of a difference here than mm. be one amongst many, many design professionals there. That was one, one reason. Second is, uh, to be honest, I think being raised in, a, in an army background, your sense of patriotism is a little high. Yeah. And it never occurred to me that I should be a citizen in any other country other than my own. So that was the second reason. And third is, uh, I did want to raise children here. I felt that uh, our city is the right place to have children, to raise them. So I guess both Solid. for professional and for personal reasons. Solid reasons. Yes. <laughs> so when you came back, you um, joined Mahindra. So yes, I uh, was you know fresh with my whole urban development background. So uh, at that time in Chennai, this was before Mahindra World City is what it is now. In Chengalpet. In Chengalpet. It was uh, called Mahindra Industrial Parks Limited. And there was 1,500 acres of land, which was, uh, which the company was trying to figure out what to do with it. So I thought that was a good opportunity to uh, work on a project of that scale. So I joined their team. Uh, I was with them for two years. And during that time, we kind of uh, conceived of it as a combination of a live-work environment. So there was housing, some recreation offices that was planned and sort of branded as uh, Mahindra World City. So it was, it was nice and interesting to be part of that journey. It was also the time when India... Um, brought out the SEZ laws that came into right. place around that time, the yeah. Special Economic Zone. Early 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s. So that those change in uh, laws allowed some of the development uh, there to happen the way it did. Mm. 
and um, when you were at Mahindra with uh, with the World City, you were um, on the other exactly. side of the table to where you are exactly. today. Exactly, exactly. So uh, I actually enjoyed that uh, position a lot, and I uh, one part of me wanted to continue as well, but uh, I was on the developer side of the table, and uh, I kind of missed getting into design itself, uh, though I do acknowledge that the client plays a significant role in the outcome of many design projects. But uh, there's something nice about getting your hands dirty and actually sketching the solutions. So yeah. I, I missed that and then I uh, decided that it was time to get back to the design side um, of the project. Yeah. So that's when I joined uh, CRN, which is of course a family firm. Yes. So, so from 2004 onwards, uh, I was uh, part of the family firm. So this is, uh, as you said, your husband's family's. Yes. Uh, it's a yes. generational legacy firm almost, right? Yes. So your husband also moved back at the same time yes. as you? Yes. Okay. We, we both came back in 2002. Okay. And uh, he joined CRN. Straight away. Straight away. I worked with Mahindras for two years. And I uh, after that, I joined CRN. And I was very lucky that in the first year of my working there, we had um, uh, participated in a design competition for a building for HCL Technologies for a campus in Bangalore. That was in 2005. And uh, we won that competition. Uh, and that actually... Uh, shaped a lot of things that were to happen in the future because it sort of was the beginning of a long relationship with uh, the company yeah. as, a, as a client. And I've been working with them now for 16 years. Yeah. So uh, that was the first sort of large project that I was involved in. Yeah. Kind of from a design point of view, which is sort of my baby. So... Um, so you you joined uh, CRN, you said 2004, right? right? Um, and um, over the next several years, you worked on a huge number of projects with them. What were the types of buildings? What were the types of projects that you, uh, you did? So uh, since the firm does a wide variety of projects, yeah. uh, during those initial years, uh, HCL was a commercial sort of office campus was a predominant building type I was involved in. Okay. Uh, but I also did some industrial buildings and some master plan projects as well. And these were la all larger scale projects, yes. none of the smaller homes no, and I offices think, type of thing. No, in the initial years, I didn't work on any small projects. Right. Subsequently, I did. Yeah. But in the initial years, I uh, all the projects I worked on were fairly uh, large scale projects. You know, a lot of the people that I speak to... Um, uh, most of the people whom I've spoke to on the podcast, um, they've been, they've either started their own company, so that creates its own set of um, challenges, getting your business off the ground, yeah. right? Now you are joining up, you are joining a firm which has been there for decades. By the time you got in, right. um, was it was it a bit liberating to have the you know, to have the freedom to do your work without yeah. needing to worry about getting the yeah. the business off the ground. Absolutely. Because uh, what it allowed me to really focus only on project delivery. Right. So we were not 
worried about the rest of the sort of administrative challenges that come with uh, managing a firm. Yeah. So like with any of, uh, if anyone, it was no different than my working in my office in Chicago. Right. You have a responsibility, you're, you're assigned a project and your job is to get the project delivered to the satisfaction of the client. Mm. So with that being the focus, I, we really gave it our all in terms of our uh, commitment to the customer. Yeah. And uh, that was... Free. And you would have had a, a much larger team to play with, I assume. Uh, yes, uh, because the projects are a little larger in scale. Yeah. And as I said earlier, uh, now more so, but even 15 years back, uh, it takes a lot of uh, different specialists to come together to put together the projects. Mm. So I was um, really lucky to be part of uh, good solid teams. So now you've had a lot of experience working um, on these large scale projects, office buildings and Mahindra World City and uh, HCL's buildings. After, let's, now let's, I, I'm going to jump forward to 2015, but before I talk about what happens in 2015, um, I just wanted to ask you now that at this point you've had 15, 20 years of working, right? During that time, did you, in your own mind, did you have an idea saying that I like working more with public spaces or yeah. I like working more on private buildings and spaces? Was there, so, was there anything like that? Yeah. So, uh, I have always maintained uh, my interest in public space ever since I returned. So, even from 2002. Yeah. Be it approaching CMDA for any possible opportunities for collaboration. Uh, after that, in 2004, there was a call for interested citizens to come together to improve their neighborhoods. And this was uh, driven by Mylapur Times. Okay. At that time, it was a newspaper article, Gyote Institute and Mylapur Times called for citizens to be engaged in um, celebrating their neighborhood. So we joined that discussion and the outcome of that was we created something called Namma Mailapur. Yeah, I, was I a, remember that, yeah. Which was a sort of a non-profit a trust that was formed to talk about the heritage of Mailapur. Um, and we used to conduct these walks yeah. in and around uh, this neighborhood. So this was in 2004 and uh, this, that led to a couple of other things uh, that were focused on trying to see how to make the experience of someone who's in the city, either as a visitor or as, or as a resident, make that experience better for them. So in 2007, uh, we collaborated with uh, Raj Cherubal, who's now the CEO of Smart City. And we actually approached uh, the commissioner of Chennai Corporation. Uh, looking to see if we can improve the pedestrian infrastructure in the city. Yeah. At that time, the footpath was at, you know, one foot height. Yeah. And uh, the government always said that it was because it was to prevent people from parking uh, on the... Cars. Uh, yeah, parking two-wheelers on the parking. But at that height, no one ever used those footpaths. Yeah. So we did this uh, sort of demo project on LB Road 
where we said, uh, let us design a proper footpath and demonstrate to you that, you know, if it's done nicely, people will actually use it for walking. And that was the very beginning of uh, the public space initiatives that some of us, so there were a group of interested citizens at that time who all had this uh, common idea that the pedestrian infrastructure in Chennai should be better. Yeah. And uh, one thing led to the other. And the timing of that was also right because the at the national level, there was a mission and a movement towards upgrading and spending on cities infrastructures with the JNNURM, which was a predecessor to what is now called the Smart, Smart City, City Initiative. So, just so this was in 2007 uh, when you did LB Road? Yeah, LB Road was around 2007. And that led to uh, a little bigger project, which was at that time called 26 roads or something like that, because we identified yeah. different stretches of uh, bus route roads to see how you can improve the last mile connectivity. So people who are tra traveling by bus, yeah. once they get on at the bus stop, how easy is it for them to walk to their, uh, you know, walk into their neighborhoods. So I did a couple of uh, roads at that time, police and commissioner all road. Those, um, all those, all the work that you did, are they still in place today? Yeah, the that's the fascinating part. Huh. The outline of it is still there. You mm. can, uh, the alignment of the road, uh, some of the footpaths are also in good condition. But of course, some things have then subsequently been encroached on, etc. Yeah, like 13, 14 years. Yeah, it's a long time. But uh, slowly and steadily, this has become mainstream with the work that corporation is doing, yeah. which was one or two odds and ends we were doing at that time. And uh, now it's become part of the uh, system itself. Yeah. In fact, a few years uh, afterwards, so each time we did a project, we tried to understand what can be done to scale this effort because we realized that giving the detailed drawings for one street and standing on the road and getting it implemented is not scalable for the size of city that we have. Yeah. So I did a program along with uh, ITDP and School of Architecture and Planning, which was uh, designed to build capacity within the system. Yeah. In fact, the uh, outcome of that was this public uh, space design toolkit where we actually uh, taught people, you know, what is the right of way design and how uh, the streetscape should not be car focused, but should rather be pedestrian, pedestrian focused. Yeah. And uh, some of those have gotten mainstreamed into the system. Yeah. Now. So a lot of that happened in parallel with all the other projects that uh, I was doing. Okay. So coming back to 2015 now. So in 2015, you started a, a very big project in Kanchipuram. That's right. Um, so between 2005 and 2015, we were continuously doing work for HCL uh, technologies uh, for their uh, corporate uh, buildings. But uh, at that time, we also I also did some work which was not directly connected to the corporate buildings. We did some school work for them for a school. Mm. And I also did a restoration project uh, for Mr. Nadar's personal residence, 
which was near Tirchandur. Um, so even though I don't have any direct uh, background as a sort of restoration architect, this was something that was a small house which he wanted me to do, which I worked on. In 2015, he was approached uh, by the uh, Kanchi Mutt for uh, a contribution towards the uh, Kumbhabhishegam of the Kamakshi Amman Temple. And at that time, uh, it was decided that he would uh, sponsor that uh, work, not only financially, but also with the supporting technical team. And I was part of that technical team. Okay. So it was an opportunity to really work with multiple stakeholders yeah. to be part of this uh, effort to restore the temple and build the area in and around the main temple. So we didn't do anything. The core temple, of course, remained untouched beyond some cleaning, etc. Yeah. But the area in and around the temple, five acres is the extent of the temple complex. Yeah. So we completely redid the infrastructure there. And you did this independently or was this part of, was CRN as an entity? Yeah. So, I mean, I did this in my individual capacity okay. because uh, the uh, client had put together this small team and yeah. this was uh, sort of done for the temple. Yeah. Uh, but of course, some engineers from CRN were also involved. Yeah. Uh, at this time, we had decided that post the restoration, we would do a documentation of the work that we had done. Yeah. And also build it further into doing some kind of uh, walks around the temple and its temple precincts to talk about the heritage, to talk about the art and the architecture. So around this time, again, it was an opportunity to get into the uh, largest scale of things and look at uh, the cityscape as a whole rather than it as only one building. Yeah. And I also decided to formalize all the work that I was doing with public spaces and sort of created a new entity, which was called City Works, which yes. was focused on improving the built environment from the perspective of cities itself. And uh, this was an important step because it um, brought a structure to some of the things that we were doing around education, awareness, capacity building, training, research, and actual design. And this allowed you also to build a dedicated team purely to work on exactly. these projects. Exactly. Because I realized that uh, the day-to-day practice of an architecture firm is so uh, consumed with sort of meeting immediate deadlines, challenges, and firefighting on some of our projects that if we have to focus on something that is uh, almost non-solicited, like some of the work that we were doing is yeah. not really, it's grassroots, it's uh, driven by our own interest, you need to have a dedicated team uh, to focus on that if you want to further sure. those interests. So CityWorks has its own uh, space, it has its own set of... Uh, which is where we're sitting right now. Which is where we're sitting right now. Yeah. Uh, its own architects and uh, we uh, our mandate is to see what and in, in what capacity can we do something to improve the urban experience yeah. it could be waste management it could be water treatment it could be uh, upcycling 
could be design of parks, better pedestrian facilities, signage, yeah. history, storytelling. Anything that you Any see in a public built-up yes. space. Anything that uh, makes living in the city a little bit better. And um, uh, so it, since you're doing this type of work, and you talked about a lot of research and everything. So that means you've been doing a lot of documentation of all your projects as well. Yes. One of the things we realized is that uh, when you start to look for information that is specific either to our heritage or to public space, a mm. uh, lot of stuff is not available uh, in, an, in an organized manner. So every project that we do, we're trying to put together details and drawings and narratives so that uh, records of those uh, stay with us, but also we are happy to share it with anyone who wants to do similar projects in the yeah. future. So for example, the entire work around the Kamakshiaman Temple restoration, we put it together in a book, yeah. which has the drawings and the details that are now available for someone if they decide to take up a similar work. And that's the, the there's book a, that there's you a, have here. Yeah, there's a copy of the book that we have here. Yeah, and so that, uh, so as I was saying, it's like a proper resource, right? Yes. Someone knows they're not starting f literally from scratch. Right. If someone was to read this, it would at least give them an inkling into what to expect while right. they work on the project. Right. And it's not uh, perfect by any means, but uh, I think it's really important that we build a culture of documentation yeah. and sharing of knowledge because the things that we have in India as challenges with, our, with respect to our built environment, everything is multiplied by thousands of times. Yeah. So it needs that anyone who does good work should definitely, you know, keep that record available for others to learn from it. Yeah. So, um, so now you started CityWorks in 2016. 2016. Yeah. And um, you've been working full time with CityWorks since then, so, or how did, uh, so do you do it, your own? Uh, it uh, it takes up a small part of our uh, time. Okay. Uh, uh, still handling mainstream sort of architecture projects takes the majority of my time sure. in the day, but we make sure that about 10-20% of our time is spent towards these public space projects. We are very fortunate. Uh, we were able to do a park for children with disabilities uh, recently, which actually won an award. It's in Santom. Yeah. Where we focused on how to make our common spaces accessible to children of all abilities. And uh, while every park should ideally be like that, we started with one. And now we've gotten uh, some more interest in trying to do retrofit some of the other public parks as well. And we're creating two more parks like that uh, right mm. now. Likewise, all streets should ideally be disabled friendly. Access for everyone. Access yeah. for everyone. Yeah. So we're starting with a few projects like that here and there. And now yeah. the government itself has expanded that into a fairly large initiative. I think uh, currently in the news I saw a few weeks ago, there's a plan to do 100 kilometers of, uh, it's called the Mega Streets Project. We're going to redo 100 kilometers of roads in Chennai. Okay. So that is something uh, that's really nice to see. It's a big change from where I was, Yeah. you know, in, in 2000 and. 
too. It's, yeah, we've, to come now, a, it's a big we've change. Come a long way yeah. in terms of the way in which we see our cities. So that's that's really good to know. So you said majority of your time is still on architecture projects. Yeah. So a lot of our time is spent on architecture projects. In fact, recently we've started a new studio called Trilog Studio, where we are going to focus on sustainable buildings. So we want to do uh, some of that. Uh, so these are all different interests. I think all of that yeah. finds, uh, finds uh, uh, time. I also very interested in teaching. Yeah. So every year I do try to spend some time in teaching as well. Yeah. And you didn't start CityWorks alone, did you? I mean, in the sense that... Yeah. So yeah. my uh, my partner in CityWorks is my sister. Okay. She, uh, her name is Anuradha. Her focus is on waste management. Because one of the things we realized that the common challenge for us to upgrade our built environment is really how we handle our waste. And so we've got now some in-depth experience in terms of uh, what should be done with each waste stream. But of course, because she lives in Bangalore, there's not that much we're able to actively do here. But we are building some tools which can be shared uh, as a resource. Yeah. So one of the things we've done is we've uh, done a book called Trashonomics, which is a translation of a book which was done in Bangalore. Okay. It was there in English and Canada, so we've translated it into Tamil, and uh, we are we're rolling out a program in corporation schools to teach children how to think about uh, waste management, right. and that's uh, in fact, if it were not for COVID, we'd have rolled that across fifty schools mm. this past year. But now, since everything is online, this is not something we wanted to do. Yeah, online. So we really believe that looking at every aspect could be uh, consumption of our own uh, resources to upcycling, to uh, handling waste, to how to treat waste water. All of these things all play a role into how we can shape uh, yeah. the built environment. Yes. There's another thing that I'd been um, meaning to ask you um, was that I'm particularly interested in urban design and um, planning of public spaces as you know. Now, I've spoken to as many people as I can about this and I noticed that most of the people that I speak to who are interested in it or working in it, um, they are not the younger generation of architects who are stepping out of college is this something is this something that you is this a challenge that you face getting more younger people also to get excited or interested in it i i think that uh, when i just finished college i also didn't find any opportunities in this yeah. field even though i was but, interested I mean, you were interested even though i was interested in the yeah. field i didn't find that many opportunities so definitely it is uh there is no fixed path by which someone can uh, sort of work in this space. Uh, in, increasingly, there are some more opportunities because there are firms and the government itself is doing projects in mm. this space. So there is uh, some more opportunity. But I also think it's because of uh, perhaps maybe lack of exposure that if you see enough and more of the certain uh, sort of well-designed built environment, you maybe want to be part of the creation of that. I think the number of opportunities are also 
less in terms of what projects are out there. Yeah. Slowly increasing. I think uh, in Ahmedabad, there are some successful public space projects, uh, but they're not to the extent that, you know, a young architectures graduate can see it and say, oh, who designed this? I want to be yeah. part of the firm that made this happen. So I think it's a combination of both not enough opportunities and also maybe not awareness uh, in, in that space. Is that something that you're also looking to change no, to bring would, that level uh, of exposure? So whenever I teach, uh, I always make sure that a student who is in the design field is made aware that while it's important to design one building, how that building fits into the bigger context is an important part of that puzzle mm -hmm. as well. And so shifting the lens or the focus to the bigger picture, I think is something that I definitely want other people to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to switch away from the professional side that we have been talking about for some time is um, the fact that you, it's very important to you. I, I understood when speaking to you the other day about the role of the family and your particular role as a parent and a mom to... Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, anyone uh, who... Uh, I mean, I think life is not unidimensional. So yeah. one very important aspect of who we are as people is really how we function as a spouse and as a parent. And so I've tried to take a balance out as much as possible in terms of spending time with my kids who are, of course, no longer very small. And they're no longer kids. Yeah, they're 15 and 18. But um, made sure that there is a good balance in terms of the time that they spend. In fact, they make fun of me because whenever we travel somewhere and I'm taking pictures of footpaths, like there she goes taking <laughs> pictures of footpaths and dustbins and signage and yeah. the standing joke in the family now. Yeah, and all, uh, speaking of the family, the uh, uh, the family is an architecture-based That's true. Uh, household, right? That's true. Um, it, uh, does work follow you home or does home follow you to work all the time? Yeah, and fortunately, the, the the lines are too blurred. Doesn't help that and it's all, it's all, everything it's all. is very close by <laughs> as well, physically. It's true. It's, uh, yeah, I don't But how do you manage that? I, I mean, do you get a chance to switch off from work? No. I actually, <laughs> no. I don't. I this, don't. I mean, I yeah. try to. Mm. And I think travel is a big uh, way of getting away. Of course, in the last one year, none of us have been able to travel. Sure. But that's one way of uh, being in a different environment. But otherwise, when we are in Chennai, it's uh, the lines are pretty blurred between work and home. And yeah, and there's no one space. there to say, let's stop talking <laughs> about architecture and design at home. Correct. That's true. That's true. But. Honestly, yeah. I'm one of the lucky people who really loves what I do. Yeah, so, true. Not complaining about that at all. Yeah, that's a good place to end this conversation. Yeah. Thank you. There's nothing like enjoying what you do. That's true. Thank, thank you, you very much for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much. Rina. Yes. Well, that's our show for this week. 
You can find links to get in touch with my guests in the episode description below on YouTube or if you're listening to the audio podcast just swipe or tap over the cover art. You can watch other full episodes and curated playlists at everythingcomestogether.com. Please subscribe to Srinath Pictures on YouTube or you can listen to the audio podcast by subscribing to Everything Comes Together on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and leave a five star review. If you like this episode, please tell a friend about it and help get the word out about this show. The music for this podcast was composed by Ashray Harishankar from Escapist Music, post-production by Tiruvikraman Srinivasaraghavan and production assistance by Abdul Jilani. Until we meet again with another fascinating guest, you can reach me on Instagram at srinag or at everythingcomestogether.com. Have a good day.